I don't even remember that as being a really hard time. It, well, it wasn't for you. <laughs> <laughs> up on It's Not Human Sexuality. I injured myself not by drugs and by alcohol, but by, but by sex. Once I forgave them, I was no longer bad. I was no longer shamed. I was, I was healthy, and I was able to, to move on and then help other people. Sometimes my story is hard enough without feeling everybody else's. But I try to also listen because I know how important it is to talk. And what he said to me is, try not to let what I did to you affect the rest of your life. That's all he said. And to me, it was, I guess that was his way of apologizing, but all I could think was, are you kidding me? So reproductive health is the biology, psychology, and sociology of being. So many different life experiences fall under this umbrella topic, including relationships, education, and sexual abuse. Our guest tonight shares her story of abuse and triumph and reminds us all that anything can be overcome if only we are willing to put in the effort to become our best selves. Welcome to the latest episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Dr. Betsy Kyra or Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. Diane Kessel is an incredible human being who has not only survived unimaginable trauma, but overcome her trauma to thrive and now lives a turquoise life. I am also very personally blessed to call her my mom. As a young girl, Diane was sexually abused by her father for many years and then tragically lost many members of her family at age 13. She has dealt with sexual incest, family murders, living in foster care, and an abusive marriage. Diane is now happily married to her Prince Charming and is the mother of five natural children and another four in heart. She has 25 grandchildren and another 18 great-grandchildren. She has co-authored her biography entitled A Turquoise Life, a book that is available on Amazon, and has given talks around the country to other survivors. Her life is an inspiration to many as she is the embodiment of love and healing. Welcome to the podcast, Mom. Excited to have you here. Well, thanks. It's nice to be here. So can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are now? Like, what do you, who are you? <laughs> well, during these days of COVID, I'm mostly somebody that's trying to find Meals on Wheels. So we volunteer for that. Uh, we're still have a, uh, a mission down in Mexico. COVID has, has changed all of us to some degree. So sure. um, that's about who I am. I do a lot more uh, experimental cooking than I used to, just to, <laughs> again, try and find uh, ways to fill my days. Um, and that's about it. I, mostly, I'm a 71-year-old lady who has lots of aches and pains every day. <laughs> so That's fair. I mean, <laughs> that is, that is mm -hmm. who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're also, you're also a, a seamstress, and you're also a 
a, a wife and, you know, you do all the things with your family. Um, I, I do. I, I try to do as much with my family as possible. Again, with all the COVID restrictions, it's been difficult, but I'm looking forward to Easter because we're actually going to gather. And uh, my husband and I both had our, our shots, so we're feeling a little, little more uh, empowered, I guess. There's a freedom that comes with getting the shots. So Yes. Well, very cool. We're excited to gather for Easter as well. Um, be the first one in a long time. You'll have uh, to bring your own food. Well, of course I will. I don't eat anything. Wow. <laughs> I know. Ouch, Mom. <laughs> what are you going to do? Make tostadas for everybody else? <laughs> There's a possibility, but probably not. <laughs> I, I would appreciate if you didn't. <laughs> Just make a ham. That won't make me sad at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make a ham and a brisket. You won't miss anything. I won't miss out on anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I know how hard it can be to summarize your story because it's not exactly a story that is easily summarized. But um, I mean, it really did take a whole book to explain it. But can you give us a, an overview for, for the audience? Well, I can. I can. I can. I, I'm from a large Catholic family. I'm, I'm the fifth of 10 kids. And uh, my father was the head of the household, as in so many, many families, and particularly in my, my day, um, back in the 50s and 60s. <clears throat> and uh, my father, from the time I was five years old, started molesting me. And there were several times during that time that I reached out to my mother and, and told her what was happening. And it would stop for a short time, and, but bad things would happen when I talked. And so I learned real early to, to grin and bear it, if you will, and not talk. Because one time I, I told a friend who told a nun who told a priest, and then my dad disappeared for two months. Left, left nine children and his wife with no means of support. Uh, so I learned real, real early, I, it was better just to keep my mouth shut. Um, mm -hmm. When I was 13, I finally had had enough. I'd had a particularly horrendous um, time with my dad that day. And, and so I ran away and and that started a uh, a roller coaster of craziness in my in my life. Because of that, my mother told my dad that if he touched me again, she was going to turn him into the authorities. He left me alone from that was Sunday night when I ran away until the following Friday and came up to my room. Meanwhile, my mother had told my sister to watch out for me, and so when my dad came up and started fiddling with me, uh, uh, she. He said, uh, uh, what are you doing? He says, I'm tucking Diane in. She says, no, you're not, and I'm going to tell mom. And the next thing we knew is we woke up and there was policemen at the foot of our bed, and my father had thought that it would be better to kill the whole family than to uh, face uh, the ugliness of what he had done. And so he, he killed my mother, two brothers, and a sister. And my mother was seven months pregnant at the time, and that was when I had my first breakdown. And uh, Naturally. It was, it was, it was horrible. That's, uh, I can't even, it was just, it was horrible. Uh, but I, I spent a good part of the, the next um, 18 years or so um, being bad to myself, if you will, because my father had left me with a real, real uh, clear message is that I was worth nothing but sex. Uh, I had no other worth uh, to anybody. And 
And anytime anything good started in my life, then then I reverted back to uh, to sex. And so I had indiscriminate sex with with strange men because that kept me back to where I what I believed about myself was being bad. I had no worth. I had no. I had no self esteem. Meanwhile, I had gotten married, and I had. I had uh, four children in five years. Five children, actually. I, I gave one the, my first one up for adoption uh, when I was nineteen. Uh, it was a whole different time. We don't back then. You didn't have showers for a, an unmarried woman. Uh, you you had shame, really, and and so I gave up her up for adoption because I was real clear I didn't want to be a mother who was dependent on welfare. <clears throat> and I didn't want my my children. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom like my mother was, and and that wouldn't have been possible had I kept her. Uh now cut to the to the present. She came back into my life three years ago, and that's been just a great blessing. And along with her came came uh well uh, with her and her family it was uh, eleven people that were added to ours, which was which mm -hmm. was a real blessing. But, but, uh, you know, I was, I was, the one thing that I knew I was good at, or I felt like I was good at, uh, was that I was a good mother. And I loved my babies. I loved, love, 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 love my babies. I loved them so much that every nine months I needed another one. So <laughs> I kept, uh, I kept having babies until my body said no more. But in every other aspect of my life, I was just kind of crazy. I just, I had, again, no self-esteem. And I, and I married a man very similar to my father in, in certain ways. And one was that my only worth to him was my sexuality. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, 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 just, it just perpetuated what I already knew about me, that there was nothing that was worth me. And... Uh, he never in in twenty years he never knew what my favorite color was, what my favorite Green. things were. What he knew was elephants. What he knew was how to. <laughs> what he knew was how to dress me sexy and and keep me that way and and so. But uh, when I was twenty six, I had a uh, a breakdown. There was a uh, a man. Well, I, what I didn't say. Well, I, yeah, I did say my father. Uh, killed several members of the family. Well, my father also had the distinction of being the last man executed in the United States for about 20 years. Last man in Colorado for 30. I guess it was only 10 years after my dad was executed that there was a man named Gary Gilmore out of Utah. And every time they talked about him in the news or in the newspaper or on the radio, they said my dad's name. And all of a sudden, I was just flooded with memories that I tried to... Tried to uh, repress. And so I had my second breakdown and uh, uh, begged and begged my husband to let me go get some counseling. And he thought I was just going to go talk about what a terrible husband he was because he was. <laughs> he, he was an alcoholic and he was, he was, he was pre pretty abusive to all of us, not physically abusive, but he was very uh, uh, emotionally and, and verbally abusive. Um, and anyway, he didn't want me to. And so, uh, he finally, I finally gave him an ultimatum of, of, uh, either let me get some help or, or, uh, we'll get a divorce because I can't live like this anymore. I, I need help. You know, I need help. You know what the background is, you know, I need help. And so he finally relented and I started my journey to therapy and, uh, 
because my traumas were so big and there were so many of them, I could only do it in stages. So the first time I went to therapy, I went for about six months and I, I felt like I was was absolutely cured, and the one the one thing I learned was was that that uh, sorry about the phone in the background, uh, the 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 one thing I learned was was that I needed to learn to be selfish and to take care of myself, and so I started trying to do some of that, and I started doing that by taking dance classes, and then started teaching fitness and doing all kinds of things like that, and I thought I was really good. And then about five years later, uh, something happened. And uh, my, my ex-husband not only acted a lot like my father, but he also looked a lot like my father in build and in coloring and different things. And, and my ex-husband decided to grow a mustache. And that just threw me into a, a total tizzy because every time I saw him, I didn't see my husband. I saw my dad. And, and even to the point of if we tried to be intimate, I'd have to stop it because I'd say, it's my dad in the room. I can't, I can't do this. And uh, I had another breakdown. And this breakdown was unfortunate for a couple of reasons. I ended up in a straitjacket in, in the hospital. But my, my kids, one of my daughters had a friend spending the night. And, and so all kinds of craziness ensued at the house. So now I had to, to share my story with some other people. I had to tell the the parents of of the girl that was spending the night so they'd understand what their daughter just went through and and stuff and and one of the things I started realizing is that when I talked and when I shared and and also during this time I had to share with all my siblings because that none of them knew what what happened everybody thought that my dad had just come into my bedroom that one time and uh, so I had to share with everybody what what that was all about, and and so my family had all gotten angry at my dad and really angry. And I have to just back up real quick for the four years that he was in in uh, um, on death row, we went and saw him every single Sunday, and which it seems absolutely absolutely absurd now that I think about it because and and one of the you know and I felt like my family hated me because I had. A baby out of wedlock, and and my husband and I weren't financially stable, and and I had all these kids, and and all that kind and of your stuff. And once was I low. started telling, oh well, I had no self esteem. There was no self esteem. So once I told each member of my family, their reaction was the same, and it was it was that they loved me and they didn't blame me. They blamed our dad, and they were able to get angry and. And that was an amazing thing for me because I never felt like I was loved. Anyway, so so that that started helping me. Another thing along with with uh, getting counseling is I started reading every self-help book there was and gleaned what was appropriate for me from each one. And it just, just helped me. And I would read and read and read and read and read. And then I also had to find a way to deal with God because I still needed God in my life, but I didn't want the God I was raised with, the fire and brimstone kind of God. I couldn't I couldn't believe that there was a God that just sat up there and said, this family is going to have all this craziness, and this family, let's make it an easy one for them. That just didn't make sense to my brain. Right. And so I started, I started reading and reading about reincarnation and all of that kind of stuff, and that made sense to me. And that also kind of gave me my power back because— 
for me, and I don't ask that anybody else believe what I believe, but I believe that I chose this family so that I could I could do the growing that I needed to do in this life. And so so that helped me. So all these little things started helping me. And then when I had that that second breakdown, I went back to therapy again and started working on some other things. As I got stronger, now my 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 husband said he he supported me, but he didn't like the person I was becoming because I was becoming strong. Mm-hmm. And I was coming into my own, and I wasn't letting him um, subjugate me anymore. And uh, so he didn't really like me <laughs> because I, I wasn't, I wasn't the, the, the girl he could push around anymore, basically. And uh, so anyway, I, I just kept working through it and, and uh, finally got strong enough. Uh, um, one, one night, uh, um, you know, this is hard for Mandy to hear, but, but she's heard it before. But I, my, my husband raped me. And that morning when he got up, I was standing at the basement at the bottom of the stairs, and he said, what are you doing up so early? I said, I need you to leave. What you did last night will never happen again. I will not be a victim again. And so I really came into my own. I finally was able to take my own um, strength and use it for myself and to to take care of myself. And so that started my my life of a a single woman with uh, four teenagers. Now... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can tell you one of the things I've thought of a gazillion times since I had my babies was why didn't I think that through, that having a baby every year would mean that I would have four teenagers at one time. What a crazy <laughs> thing to do. Anyway, yeah. so we, we muddled through and, and, and we did it with, uh, we did it with uh, just grit, really. Um, uh, my husband wasn't giving me any support. My ex-husband wasn't giving me any support. So I was working three and four and five jobs. And, and what if anybody said, uh, I'll pay you, I said, okay. And so I did it and we, we did it and we, we made it through. That's yeah, the day. I don't even remember that. It was a really it, hard time. It, well, it wasn't for you. <laughs> Although we were having burritos. I like burritos. We were sure having burritos a lot. I know. Well, it was a good thing you guys like burritos because we were making them almost every night. And then I'd, I'd take the extras to work and sell them. And that was my gas money. But, you know, we made it. We made it through. And then um, I met a man and I was with him for about five years. And he was he was a polar opposite from my, my husband. And he was a real good man. He was real good to me. And he wasn't going to be my ever after. I just knew it because he wasn't fulfilling any of the other needs inside of me. And uh, so I actually split up with him and, and moved out. And within the month, uh, he was hit by a, a semi and, and crushed his brainstem. So he died. But I always felt like he died so that I could meet my, my Prince Charming. And uh, um, I did. I did meet my Prince Charming, and we've been together 28 years now. And my life is like, it's, it's so incredible. And I needed to <clears throat> validate my life somehow. And even when I was still with my ex-husband, I started writing a, a book with a friend, <clears throat> My Life, and we sent it in to Oprah Winfrey. I got on the Oprah Winfrey show back in September 2nd, 1987. But what that did was, was show me that there was strength in talking. Uh, the, the following day, I went to work, and all of my coworkers had heard my story. They brought in TVs 
to work so that they could watch me on the Oprah Winfrey show. And again, you know, I always worried about what people would think about me because I'm always real open about that I was very promiscuous and all of that. And I always assumed that that's all they'd focus on, you know, the bad parts of me, because quite frankly, I still focused on the bad parts of me. But but it wasn't so. And uh, people started telling me how brave I was to speak and all of that. And I realized it was more than that, that it was... There was power in me speaking for me. It was healing for me to speak. And not only that, but I had I had the power in my words to help other people get through what I had been through. And so I started doing public speaking, even to the point of I went down to Canyon City, which is, uh, and talked to pedophiles. And they all knew of my dad because he was very infamous for being executed. And so I was able to do that, and I went, went to the women's prisons and talked to them, and almost to a woman. It was amazing. Uh, almost to a, to a woman. They had all been sexually abused. So you understand how they went the way that they went. And it truly is just by the grace of God that I didn't do the same thing. I injured myself not by drugs and by alcohol, but by, but by sex. So that that's how I, I and and once once I got healthy I didn't need to do that anymore, you know it's it's an amazing once you get healthy, and and the other thing I found is the most important thing of all that I did <clears throat> was I took a class on forgiveness. I I was lucky enough to hook up with a place called the Women's School Network, and they they taught wonderful classes. They had wonderful teachers and. And they took a liking to me, and so I got to take all of the classes for free because I taught fitness at the Women's School Network. And this forgiveness class, it took about six months, and it was all done with journaling. And and uh, so I had to kind of put myself into uh, the head of my dad and the head of my mom in order to see what—and and as it turned out, my father had been molested, of course, because mm -hmm. that, that is the pattern that happens. And um, back then, there weren't there weren't resources. You know, we have resources. Look at your podcast. We talk about this on the air. Where they talk about it. There's PSAs on the TV all the time. They they give out information at schools. All of those kind of things. There was no such thing. And yeah. so I was able to forgive my dad. But I'd forgive my, forgave my mother first because I was trying to think what she would have done back in 1963, 1960, 1955, with, with the information that she had when there was nobody to go to. There was yeah. not even the word incest used. That, that, that word didn't come into the newspapers until probably the seven, 80s, late 70s or early 80s. Nobody even said that word. So, so what she, could she have done? And she had 10 children. So do you... Do you sacrifice the other nine for one? So being a mother of a lot of kids, I was able to, to understand her plight and forgive her. The greatest thing about forgiveness when you forgive other people is you forgive yourself. And that's the greatest gift you get because once I forgave them, I was no longer bad. I was no longer shamed. I was, I was healthy and I was able to to move on and then help other people. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's really what I have done since then. I've done a lot of public speaking, uh, some on national stages and some local, lots of lots of talking. Finished a book in in, uh, 2014, and uh, like Andy said, it's available on, on Amazon. It's called A Turquoise Life. Tells all these stories and lots and lots more. And I, 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 I made myself naked in the book because I want people to understand that if you do that, you can heal yourself, you can get healthy. And I think it's so important for us to get healthy. Anyway, that's, that's what was happening all before, before COVID. I had some other speaking engagements set up, and, and now we just try and plug along every day and find something to do. <laughs> so... That's 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 it in a nutshell. All right. So as many times as I've heard that um, story, it's still it still gets me a little every time, um, you yes, know, it just, just oh, yeah. I mean, it's I, I've known your story <laughs> my whole life and and still hearing you say the words and and hearing all about it. It's just it's an emotional roller coaster, even for somebody who didn't live through any of it. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, well, we've, we've talked about that. I think all, all of my children and all of my nieces and nephews have a little bit of second generation PTSD from their, from their parents because we, we went through a tremendous mm-hmm. craziness. Yeah. Tremendous I, trauma. I, uh, definitely. Yeah. And I remember reading your book. Uh, Mandy had, had uh, given me a copy yeah. and uh, I think a couple of weeks went by or something and you said, How's it going? And I said, well, I'm not very far through it because I can only read it in short segments because it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I mean, our listeners are hearing much. your story and, you know, and I'm sure they're, they're, they have those gasp moments. But even reading the book, it's just, it's so vivid and so present. Mm-hmm. And I, I just couldn't, it's not something... It's not that it's not a page turner, it is. It's just that there's so much of that story for me that I could only absorb in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. For people that have been abused, I say be real careful because it may trigger, you know. But yeah. but what I hear is people say, I couldn't put it down. I read it uh, last night and I'm like, oh. And, and, and I always tell people, don't read it before bed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but I can't tell you how many people said read it before bed, you know, and it's like, no, that's not when you want to read it. And, but people either take a really long time to read it or just zip through it. You know, it's really you know, interesting I did how both. it affects different people. The first yeah. time I read it, I read it straight through in a day and I had to take breaks to, to cry. You know, I, mm. every, every so often I just had to stop and just bawl my eyes out and then keep going. Uh, but I did read it in a day, and then the second time I read it, I took a lot more time mm-hmm. so that I could process it better. Um, I think the first time I read it, it was just the, I, I wanted to hear the details of a story I'd always known, you know? Yes, yes. And you hadn't had the details, you just knew the outline. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, where mm-hmm. JC and Charlie, mm-hmm. both my daughters, they, they both took months. It took them months to read that book. Um, JC mm-hmm. actually just finished. yes. Maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So, um, yeah, that's what she told me. She told yeah. me. Yeah. So this is sort of a personal question. You don't, and obviously anything we toss at you, you don't have to answer. But you know, you talk about when you warn people, maybe they should, you know, it could trigger things. Do you still have any triggers? Are your triggers gone? 
Every once in a no, not a, not 100%, not 100%. I'll tell you, uh, my my father, uh, one of the murders he did, he killed my, my little sister. She was only 11 months old with a stiletto. And uh, my husband and I were in um, Europe three years ago. And we were, it was Easter Sunday and we were, we were just, we'd gone to mass and we were, we were uh, window shopping, if you will, down the street to our hotel. And in the window was a display of stilettos. And I had no idea that that was going to affect me that way. I saw that and I just burst into, into major sobs. Luckily, my husband was right there. And I just, I just cried and cried and cried and then it was okay. But it was amazing. It was very surprising to me that it, after all this time and after all my healing and all of that, that something could could trigger me like that. And so every once in a while, there's something that 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 triggers me. And uh, and I'm I'm very empathetic. Uh, so when I talk to other, when I do my talks and stuff, and people come up to me because they all want to share their story. I have to work real hard to uh, put up kind of a plexiglass in front of me so it doesn't absorb because otherwise, otherwise it's too much. It's, 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 sometimes my story is hard enough without feeling everybody else's. But I try to also listen because I know how important it is to talk. So it's kind of a, a, a tricky little thing. But yeah, I still get triggered. Not real often, but every once in a while. So speaking of triggers, this this wasn't a question I was planning to ask, but on my drive here, I was listening to some 60s music and I was thinking about our podcast and and I (laughs) and I started thinking, are there any songs that are triggers to you? Like I know from being your daughter that Christmas music was hard for you for a long time, but but are there any other songs that would trigger you or that you can't listen to? No, not that I can't listen to, but but just, you know, a gazillion years ago when your sister Gina was in like sixth or seventh grade, well, it was over at, it was over at the Moore Junior High, so she had to be in sixth or seventh, I don't know what grade. Seven. And uh, they, they, they had a, pr- uh, uh, a program, and uh, it was all 60s music. I couldn't, I, I, I sat through it, but I sobbed through the whole thing. I couldn't, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't take myself out of those years because that was the year that that my mom died, and the the music was beautiful and it's all favorite songs, but it just it was it was so so horrible for me. Yeah. So you know it's uh, I can listen to it now, and I, most of those songs are on my iPod, so I listen to them all the time, and I can sing them, but. Again, you know, you just never know. And music is very powerful, and smells are powerful, and mm-hmm. sounds are powerful. There was a, a sound my dad used to make, like sucking in through his teeth, kind of, kind of a thing. Yeah. And if I hear that sound, I can't, I can't not see my dad. I can't not, you know. So the, it, yeah. it's just kind of interesting the things that kind of trigger you. Yeah. Yeah. I just I was curious about the music because, um, you know, I grew up a music lover because of you and and music has always triggered lots of emotional stuff for me, memories and, and whatever. And I just yeah, I was I was listening to Tommy James and the Shondells on the way over here. And I just thought, huh, I don't think I've ever asked my mom specifically about how music, how, how that's affected you. And, and I thought that would be a good time to ask. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, definitely. Definitely. I just want a little clarification for our listeners on the timeline. Um, if you don't mind, you had talked about how your dad was on death row in Canyon City and you went to visit him every Sunday. And was mm-hmm. this before you told everybody what had happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody right. knew. Nobody right. knew. And I'll tell you what my, you know, you have the proverbial last dinner. And uh, so we had our, our last dinner. And uh, my dad, as we were walking out after we said our goodbyes, my dad said, Diana, can you come over here for a minute? And first of all, my 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 first feeling was one of panic because I didn't want to be alone with him. And then I remembered that there's a guard in the room and and it's okay. And what he said to me is, try not to let what I did to you affect the rest of your life. That's all he said. And to me, it was, I guess that was his way of apologizing, but all I could think was, are you kidding me? It affects every moment of every day of my life. And it, it my, his, his, his voice was in my head and directed all of the things that I did and how I interacted. And, and so that's the only thing he said to me. But we went every Sunday. And one of the best things my oldest brother told me, because he's the one that took us every, every Sunday, was he said, had I known any of this, we wouldn't have gone to see Dad. And that really helped me. That really helped me because he was on my side. Yeah. They just didn't know. So. Absolutely. But you did, and you still went. He was our father. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it, it, and I talk about this when I do my talks. It's, it's crazy, but that was the only way we could have some semblance of normalcy. Think of, think of COVID right now and how everything has changed, and we just crave the normalcy, right? When my mother was gone and my favorite little brothers and sisters uh, were gone, uh, I, was, I was their acting mom for all purposes. I was, uh, out of 10 kids, there were three girls, and the, one, the baby was, was one of the girls, so my sister and I took care of the other ones. You know, and that was a time when the guys did all the outside work and the the females did all the inside work. And so the two youngest were like my babies. And so they were taken away and my mom was taken away. And but when we went to the when we went to the prison every Sunday, we'd talk about schoolwork and this and that. And I took my boyfriend that I was dating in high school to meet him and and things like that, because that was some kind of normalcy. That's all I can say. You know, we drove down every Sunday and the how, the car, well, a lot of times we were singing and stuff, but a lot of times everybody was just lost in their own own heads and thoughts about the whole thing. And, and it was very uh, uh, degrading to go to the, the prison because we got searched and every Sunday and, and all of that. And that was, that was hands-on searching and that was really icky and, and, and all of that. But but we all still loved our dad. We all still loved our dad. And it was, it, was, it was the way that we could keep things a little bit normal in an incredibly abnormal situation. That's all I can say. Yeah, that, that part of the, your story has always, mm-hmm. you know, I've always had a hard time mm-hmm. with it, too. I mean, and I understand because you've, mm-hmm. you've shared that with me a lot, but, but that 
yeah, that's hard to. Well, can you imagine, imagine. my? Uh, well, my father died with the love of his children intact, which I think is yeah. phenomenal. And I think that's why he chose to to go to the gas chamber instead of having stays of execution, because he asked to be executed. He didn't want to have stays of execution. He he wanted to. So I, but I think that's why, because he knew eventually nobody would want to see him. Yeah, you know. And I, 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 I wonder think how hard those visits we, we were for him that. to face you guys, knowing yeah, what know. he did. I'm, you know? I'm sure. I'm sure he had incredible shame because my father was a uh, a real devout Catholic, so he grew up with Catholic guilt. So, you know, and I know he went to to confession every Saturday and all of that kind of stuff, and and I'm sure it just ate him alive. And he probably figured he couldn't he couldn't live longer with that on his shoulders, you know. Yeah. Whatever his choice was, um, I'm glad. And, and, and in retrospect, I'm really glad that he, he's gone because I never had to introduce my children to him. I never, you know, I would have, again, I'm real empathetic and I'm, I'm, I feel bad for people. And I would have, had I not gone to see him somehow, I would have had a guilt inside of me that I, I didn't want to go see him or something. So, yeah. So in the long run, it, it, it made sense. In the short run, it was incredibly difficult. Going to kind of switch gears just a little bit. Um, and so for, for our listeners, I don't know how, if I've ever really talked about this before, but you know, who you are has really impacted who I am and what I do for a living and what I teach and, you know, why I, <laughs> why I'm passionate about reproductive health education and, and all of that. So, um, what I what I'm wondering is how did your past influence how you raised us as your children? Like because clearly how you raised me impacted who I am and what I do. Um, but there was some conscious thought about what you did with your kids. There was there was tremendous conscious thought. There was there was uh, from the time your brother was born. There was there was even to the point of of uh, I became the fastest diaper changer in the world because lest anybody think I was dawdling on my son's genitals. I mean, that was what was in my head. And so that impacted me. I, I, uh, uh, I made it real clear that I didn't ever want to call any of my children names. So I, I, I worked real hard to say what you did was bad, not your bad, you know, uh, things like that. I, I was very careful with my words because I didn't, I had this, this neon sign over my head that said bad. I mean, it just was bad. And, and, um, I just, you know, I was real clear. I didn't want to leave my children with those kind of labels. And so I worked on that and I, 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 my mother had 10 children, so she didn't have a lot of time for hugs and, and snuggles personally with each kid. And so I made sure that I had a lot of time to hug my kids and, and snuggle with them and, and things like that. Um, I, I, I love the fact that all of you kids love music uh, because that, that was a big part of my saving grace. Uh, there were some artists back then that spoke straight to my heart and that helped me get through hard times. I mean, music is extremely powerful. And, I believe um, I'm named after one of the songs of one of those artists. Well, I believe I believe you are. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, no. Barry Manilow. Oh, yeah, Barry really? Manilow. Is that it? That's I was pregnant. <laughs> okay. 
I, I was pregnant. <laughs> I was pregnant with her when that song came out, and that, that was her name. Um, yeah, and uh, and I fought. I fought your. Those are the kind of things I fought your dad on too. I I, I just you know. You you can't say those things to 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 the kids, you know. You can't uh, because if he was drinking, then then you never knew what was going to come out of his mouth or hurtful or or whatever. And and uh, as much as I fought that, those words still came out. And I know that all of my kids have struggled with some of those labels that he gave them, along with yeah. me. I, I, don't, you know, I don't think so, any of us have the word bad over our head. I think we all have the word stupid over our head. Stupid, stupid. Oh, I. I uh, yep, and I still struggle with that. Every once in a while, Fred, I said, "Well, you think that was stupid?" He says, and Fred will say, "I'm not. I'm not Jim." Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm yep. not Jim. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but 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 that that message is still there. So, uh, you know, you have to. So yeah, you know, I, I I certainly wasn't a perfect mom, and I was I was a crazy mom. I was I was so mentally screwed up for a lot of years, and I'm sure um, I I I hope I've always hoped that none of my kids end up on a psychiatric couch because of me. Now, you know, I I believe in 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 getting therapy and and stuff. So I encourage anybody to go get therapy. But I hope it's not just because of what I did to them. And so, yeah. but I, I tried to be as good a mom and I tried to be, I've tried to be a good, good grandma because, um, a nana, I'm a nana, because my kids didn't have a good nana. They had, they had a grandma, but she wasn't a warm, snuggly, love them up kind of grandma. And uh, I always thought that if my mother had grandchildren, she would have plopped you on her lap and 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 done that you know and so i've always tried to be a really good nurturing uh nana um all of those things influenced me you know what i've always said is my parents taught me the the biggest lessons i learned from my parents was how not to be and so i had to change it so one of the like i don't remember any obviously i was real young when a lot of the stuff was happening to you but um you know, except for having been told your story a lot of times as a kid, I would have never known that you were dealing with issues. You were a great mom. Um, <laughs> Thank truly, you. That, Thank you. My, I was just telling my kids the other day about I was snuggling down with Octavia um, for our listeners. That's my granddaughter. Yeah. And um, we were just snuggling down on the couch and laying there. And I, I was telling the kid, uh, Charlie, you know, I was like, you know, I think this is my first memory. Like, Truly, the first memory I have of my own life is snuggling <laughs> on the couch with my mom after everybody else went to school. Now, you and I took a nap together every day, and, and most days you'd say, Mommy, put on the Mandy song. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote it for me, obviously. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah, a little egocentricness going on here. So <laughs> maybe fine. I have a big head. It's fine. Uh, um, one of the things I also remember that I, I truly believe impacted so much of who I am was learning where babies come from when I was a very little girl. And, and yes. that was also a purposeful decision on your end. Can you tell us about that a little it, bit? Absolutely. It, it absolutely was. Well, I think it was JJ that asked me where babies came from. And I thought, I so I found that book, wonderful book. Where, uh, uh, what, where do I come from? Where did I come from? Where did I yeah, come from? Yeah, I still from? read that to my students and every semester. You were, you were three years old. You were three years old. 
So JJ would have been eight. And uh, um, I just gathered you all on the bed and I said, some of this you will understand and some you won't. But it's important because this is, you know, about our bodies. And so we read the book and, and uh, uh, every, nobody else said too much afterwards. We asked a couple questions, but nobody said too much. But about a day later, you and I were in the car and you said, Mommy, if a lady was walking down the street and an egg fell out and she picked it up, <laughs> would there be a baby inside? Mm -hmm. And I I tried not to laugh. I tried not to laugh. And I'd say, and I just had to, because I knew that you were just thinking of all this stuff, you know, about those eggs being up there. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just had to explain it wasn't that kind of an egg and and whatever. But but I always wanted to talk openly about sex. And and hopefully I talked to you also about that, that nobody gets to touch your body. Only, only that body is yours and 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 nobody else can touch your body it's not okay if anybody else touches your body unless you say so yeah so i i i try to be uh, very purposeful in my in my parenting um you know made a lot of mistakes along the way but but um well, don't we all? And I always say we we can we can only we can only be we can only be who we are and do the best that we can be, and that's what I tried to do is the be the best mother that I could be. Um, and uh, you know there were lots of lots of hardships, and with with four teenagers, there were some that gave me gray hair, and and uh, you know so then I'd wonder about if I was even a good mother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you didn't we give all me, wonder you didn't. that. We still wonder that. We're always going to wonder that. Well, sure. And, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but so I would question it then. But, but, uh, uh, yeah, my 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 background definitely directed how I was as a parent. Did you? This is a random question, but did you feel less like you were a bad mom after you saw all of us be parents? Yes. Yes. Cause, because because watching I love Charlie become a parent. parent opened up my eyes to a lot of like, oh, I wasn't that I, bad. Well, <laughs> you know what? You're all good parents. You're, you're all good parents. And, and also the other thing that it taught me was because none of you would keep your rooms clean, but once you got your own places, you did. And so that was like, okay, they learned something. They learned something somewhere <laughs> along the line. And, and uh, you know, so it was, it was interesting, but, but you're all, uh, I'm all, I'm very proud of all of you as parents. Now, that doesn't mean you haven't gone through difficult times. Yeah. Because that's just the, that's just the journey of, of being a human being. Absolutely. You know, you have your, 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 your greatest joys and your greatest sadness with your children. And, and I think you have to have both of that to, to appreciate everything. And, uh, you know. But uh, sounds like one of your self-help yeah, think, books, Mom. Yeah, my my <laughs> grandmother used to. <laughs> it may have come from there originally. <laughs> yeah, my my grandmother used to say, "When your kids are little, they step on your toes, and when they're big, they step on your heart." <laughs> yes. Oh, that is absolutely true, and particularly my husband and I have a theory that that uh, teenagers have to be awful, otherwise you'd never want them to move out. 
Oh, there, there it know. is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, I mean, if, if they, if they were wonderful, like, like a newborn baby and, you know, not, not a lot of trouble other than just, you know, the, the normal, you'd never want your kids to leave, but, but that's all part of the process is mm-hmm. your kids need to leave and move on to their, their, their life, you know, and you need and to want, them hopefully, to. <laughs> yes. And hopefully you've, and I, I know people that don't want their kids to, to move out and yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> You know, well, that's so. a head snap moment. <laughs> bye bye. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> uh, so, uh, what are your views on on education and how we educate, um, like, about reproductive health and sexuality right now? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, number one is I'm so proud of who you are as a teacher and that you're teaching oh, you. kids. Everything. No, I, you and Betsy, what you do, I think is so necessary. And I think it's, it's uh, parents with their heads in the sand who think it's not necessary. I think it's crazy that they want to keep their kids in the dark. Uh, you're not preparing them for life. You're not giving them the tools. And if you, you, we all know that knowledge is power. So the more you know, the more powerful you are with yourself. You know, you know your boundaries better. You know what's okay, what's not okay. And, and so I love, I love, and I tell everybody that that's what you teach. And I'm so proud of you because I think that's necessary. And I, I, and, you know, I, I, I have no use for people that don't want to see the truth. And don't want to learn, don't want to educate their their children. The, the, don't tell. You know, when I was, <clears throat> as an example, many years ago, I worked at a at an oil company. It was like a, it was like a, a small uh, uh, United Nations. I had people from so many different countries who lived there and who worked there. And one lady was from Cambodia, and she was going to be getting married. And I, and I talked to her. She'd never been talked to about sex. Never. And she was going to be married to marry a man that she'd never met. Hey. <laughs> and I just thought that was so wrong. And so I actually, I actually gave her the sex talk because mm-hmm. I felt like she needed to be prepared. I don't understand that. That is such a, that that's such a crime to not prepare your children for their sexuality and, and yeah. stuff. So that's, that's what my thinking is. I think we need to educate our kids. I think we need to have sex ed in kids in, in schools because parents don't want to talk about it. Too many parents don't want to talk about it. I mean, so I definitely still get high schoolers for that, life. Um, still get high schoolers that don't even know the names of all their, all their parts. You know, they just can't even name every part of their body. <laughs> I had a college student right after uh, the anatomy lecture in college, the next lecture she came up to me and said i'm still confused where does the baby grow and what body part and this was wow. a, a junior level college course mm-hmm. and my response yeah. inside was wow uh but i just said oh here i've got it pulled up i'll just show you this picture and thinking to myself oh my mm-hmm. you know well we still yeah have a you, lot of you work just to wonder do. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> every day we do have a lot of work to do, you know. And I think, I think, I think we need education. Period. You know, we need to be educated about our world and our our bodies and our our persons and our 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 ids, our everything. You know, we need to we need to learn all of this so that we can make it through this very crazy world. Yes, I would agree. I suppose that's why um, I'm an educator. 
<laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> At least partly, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. My ever truant uh, daughter who became an educator. Mm. Well, I didn't like being in school. That's different. <laughs> Vastly. <laughs> being a student wasn't fun as, as a high schooler, but, you know, the next 20 yeah. years of my life, it was great. <laughs> yeah. There's that. The next 20 years you were in school? <laughs> yeah. You know, that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. So... Well, what kind of advice do you have for anybody else that might be currently going through an abuse situation or um, trying to get past their trauma? Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody because when you don't talk to it, it, it lives in your body and it festers and it can turn into physical illnesses. It can turn into mental illnesses. And you take out that that angst and that anger and all of that stuff and shame on other people. And so talk to somebody, pick a pick somebody you trust that can be a pastor, your doctor, a friend, your 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 best friend's mother, uh, whatever. Talk to somebody and start start working in the the area of healing yourself because the only way we can get healed is by talking about it. Because as long as it sits in our body and in our own minds, it just makes us sick. So uh, that's that's number one. And then read whatever you can. Read read self help books or listen to podcasts or or whatever about those subjects to to open your eyes, open your your brain. Because one of the things I know for me, one of the things is I felt like I was the only person in the world that this had ever happened to. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was, after my mom died, my aunt didn't know what to do with me. And she put me in a, a girl's home called the, the Good Shepherd Home. And um, that really, really helped me because I met other girls that had been abused. So I knew I wasn't the only one. So all of these things help you. So when you hear other people talk or you hear these things, and even if it triggers you, maybe it triggers you enough so that that you're ready to go get some therapy get some help you know and um so th that that's what i say and the the other thing is 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 i try to let people know that it's not their fault no matter what no matter what no matter how many times your dad or your uncle or your your older brother told you you know they they couldn't help themselves it was you you and that's what they tell you is if you weren't so pretty, you know, then then I wouldn't be attracted to you. If you weren't wouldn't wear those clothes, I wouldn't be attracted. And don't believe it. Don't believe it because it's never your fault. But that's one of the hardest things to let go of. That's that shame that you you feel because you take on your perpetrator's shame. That's a real crazy thing, you know. It's not their fault. It's your fault, you know. And and that's when I said that the forgiveness. Uh, peace. That's what I was able to to let go of. I what didn't have to hold on to all those labels anymore, and and all of that, uh, you know, uh, that I'd been holding on to for all of those years. I was in therapy therapy for about twenty three years, and 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 that's the other thing is 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 to understand that in the, it's not going to go over way away overnight. You know, your first time you go to therapy, then it's a process. And just as life is, and sometimes you have to take off 
you know, do it a little while and take off years and then go back and do the next level and take, you know, and, and that that's okay. You know, it takes, it takes whatever time it takes. Right. Well, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, it was good for you when you learned that other people had, had gone through the same thing. And that's definitely one of my favorite things about you having written a book, because I, as you know, have bought many copies of that. Um, and I, yes. <laughs> I handed out left and right to students who I know have dealt with sexual abuse or any kind of abusive trauma in their past. And um, it's helped a lot of my students, you know, that just come to realize that, number one, they're not alone, but also that there's hope that that. There's that a, things won't always be bad for them and that, that they can survive, you know. Well, not only is there hope, but but they're in charge of it. That's that's part of it, is they're in charge of it, is is you can stay miserable all you want. That's a choice. Or you can get help. That's a choice. And and you can choose to move forward and 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 and, and try to get to your best life. You know, when, when I met, when I met Fred, I, I swear to God, I believe the universe said, all right, you did your work. Now you get a prize. That's how I've always <laughs> thought of, that's how I've always thought of Fred is he was my gift for doing my work. You know, and I, I met this incredible man that, that loves me a hundred percent, that never puts me down, that never, not, and I'll tell you, that wasn't easy to, to get used to either. You know, I was used to being beat down all the time. It took me a long time to to recognize that that uh, he's not going to yell at me and call me stupid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and he's not going to abuse me and he's not going to, you know, do things to hurt me, you know. So, uh, but but I have this fantastic life now and I feel I feel so unbelievably blessed and I'm so rich with love in my life with children and grandchildren and friends and and great grandkids and and uh, I I am so blessed I have and and if I look back and I say and I it, it's it's like I've lived two lives and the first life but but that first life was what got me to my second life and I don't know who I would be had I not had my first life maybe I'd be some rich somewhere that didn't care for anybody I don't know <laughs> you know. Really, really, you don't know who you would possible. be with no em anything's yeah. possible with no with no empathy, you know, and and so I don't know, you know, so uh, would I change my my life? No, you know, I I uh, you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of things I would prefer not to have gone through, sure. but but it all made me who I am, and I I'm comfortable and I like who I am now. So and I'm I'm grateful for who you are as well. So. Well, thank you. Well, I'm grateful for, for who you are too. I think well, I have a big incredible part of who kids. you are. So, oh well, yeah, it is. My children, even absolutely. even just before absolutely. even before we started recording, right before you came back on the phone, I was like, I can hear her great. And then I was like, Oh God, that's the phone. And, and then I you go, came on and said, But I can hear you great. And I went, and I'm looking over here, going, Me too. And I don't even have my headphones on. But it was just one of those moments of, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely her daughter. Yeah. <laughs> well, of all of my children, you have more manifestations of me than any of them. You have so many of the same 
mannerisms and and when I hear you speak so often, it's like it's coming straight out of my own head. So it's a <laughs> it's a real interesting thing, and I see that with the, the other kids too in different ways. But with you, but you spent so much time with me alone, and yeah. uh, um, you know, you definitely have all my. Sometimes I just have to giggle when I see you because it's like oh. <laughs> and then I then I was that kid that never moved out like we were talking about before. <laughs> you know, you want your kids to move out, but sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah, they're like, or they come back. They move out and come sometimes back. Sometimes they like don't. A bad check, you know. You yeah. wouldn't know anything about that. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> and yet we were... <laughs> and yet we were so sad when you moved out because you took our granddaughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would so. break my heart too now. I, yeah. I can't even, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So anyway. Okay. All right. Well, I think that that concludes all the questions I have, except for one last surprise question for you. And that is what inspires you now? What inspires me now? What inspires me now? Um, my grandchildren. Um, seeing them become uh, adults and, and seeing them make good good uh, uh, paths in this world. And, you know, my, my grandchildren are just like the, my children and, and that, uh, you know, a lot, there's a whole lot of stumbles going on. <laughs> there's, mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of uh, gray hairs being given out to their parents and stuff. But, but my, my, my grandchildren, or fam my family inspires me. I, I, there's nothing that's more important to me than, than my family. That's why that this year has been so tough. And we've we've tried to do some fun little things so that we could still keep in contact, like like throwing y'all banana bread one day, driving to everybody's yeah. house and standing at the curb and throwing y'all a banana bread and and uh, you know things like that. But but this year has been so hard because we're used to having so many family gatherings, and that's why I'm going to have Easter because it's been long enough. So, but it's it's it, it that that inspires me and. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you the national news does it because all that does is make me mad <laughs> you know, for various things. It's, 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 it's the, it's the people in my life and the love I have and, and all of that, that keeps me going and inspires me. What's, what's funny about your answer is I could have written that word for word on my script. Because mm -hmm. I knew yeah, what I you would so say. Too. <laughs> I, the, the line that got me was, it's been long enough. Yes. It's been long enough. It has been. It has been. Yes. Yeah. Isolation. It's, it's been a friendly breaks you, you know. It's it, it's uh, you know my my husband and I have gotten ever closer because now we're like uh, um, twins. We do everything together. He even goes out with me to deliver Avon, and <laughs> you know it's the craziest. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. We do absolutely everything together. But um, God, I miss the hugs from the kids and the grandkids, and you know the the, the giggles the giggles and all of that so well thank you so much for joining us tonight mom it was uh really really fun and and i'm not gonna say i learned anything new per se but <laughs> hopefully our listen listeners did because this is a new story yes. for all of yes. them if not for me um, but it's really inspiring i mm -hmm. think you know and i think no matter how many times you hear it at least even for me and i read the story and i knew the story you know and i'm hearing it again and and for me it's it causes me to be, to do even more reflection and and to pull all those things out that you say, you know, 
that wasn't a real big deal to what happened yesterday or, you know, it's Puts perspective. Things in perspective. It, it, yeah. yeah. I th- I, that's something I do all the time, not just with my own life, but but when I, if, if I ever start feeling sorry for myself, I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I could not have any food. I could be uh, 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 at the border being taken and my children taken away from me. I, I can always put myself in another place that reminds me on the grand scheme of things, this is nothing. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is nothing. So put your big girl panties back on and... Yeah. <laughs> Hike them up. So. There it is. Hike them up. So, well, thank you. Well, this thank has been you. fun. Yes. What I would, what I, what I would like to say is that uh, can we um, just tell people if they, for some reason, they want to get a hold of me, they can do it through Facebook on a Turquoise Life, uh-huh. and sure. send me a, a little post or something like that, yeah. and and yeah. I'll get back with you that way. Well, thanks, Ma. Right. Thank you. Ad- adios. Love you. Love Uh you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh It's It's a lot to take in if you haven't been forewarned. She glossed over a lot just based on time. I mean, the book truly, truly, I had to. It's visceral. It is. And I meant it when I, like when you asked me, how's it going? I'm like, well, I'm on the 10th page or something <laughs> you know yeah. you're like wow you're reading it really slow and I'm I can't I couldn't do much and I did read it in bed like I read it before going yeah. to sleep um, but it it just makes you feel I mean it just makes you feel it definitely makes you, know, you feel it's a lot to digest and sad and scared and frustrated and horrified oh, well that was first out of the gate right terrific yeah but your mom you know wow right yeah wow for sure right i know when i read that book the first time there was so much detail in it that you know being a little kid being raised by this person i had no idea she was dealing with trauma or having mental breakdowns or i have no memory of any of those things you know and so the first time i read her book like she said i knew the outline of her story i knew Mm-hmm. That she was, you know, abused, and I knew that her dad had murdered her family, but I, I just didn't know all of it. And um, yeah, reading it for the first time and and seeing myself through her eyes was that was really hard for me too. Even when it was good stuff or whatever, and not mm-hmm. not all bad, it was it was really hard. Um, it's an intense story, no matter I, how you look at it. I and, know. And then knowing what I know about my own father. Yeah, is also difficult for me. You right. Know? Um, I have a good relationship with my dad, and right. and he's my friend, and but he's that other he's that other life. But he's also this other guy, but right. but he also has had two lives, you know. Yes. You know, right. so yeah. he's in his second life also. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I remember asking you, how did you read this? Like <laughs> that, really, truly, and yeah. and. You know, it, it's it's, and then ultimately in the end, it's inspiring, as you can see when you listen to her story. She's not bitter. Yeah. She's not angry. She doesn't feel slighted. Um, she's she's very, um, I don't know, groomed by it or not groomed. That's not, maybe not the right choice of words, but she's very. Uh, it was growth for her. It was. It made her into a very strong woman for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and as you know, your mom said, COVID, and so what we're getting right now is recording at home, and 
hearing the shower going. Awesome. There hey, it at is. least we know people are clean here. <laughs> well, <laughs> not all of us. <laughs> what are you saying, Betsy? Because I'm sitting pretty close to you right now. <laughs> yeah, that's. For me, it was it was fun interviewing my own mommy. For sure. I, I that was. I always like uh, talking to her. You know, obviously she's she's my mommy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, I can tell why I like you so much. <laughs> I come from good stock. You do come from good stock. So you know the name of the book, A Turquoise Life? Yeah. You, it, that was intriguing to me. Where did that come from? Well, it came from the fact that turquoise is my mom's favorite color, but her, her thoughts on it is that her first life was gray. It was dark and gray and bleak. And since her healing, her life is now turquoise. She lives her life in color, and, and it's just a complete switch um, in the way she thinks and sees life now. So. Yeah. I noticed she was wearing sort of a turquoise-colored blouse. You will never see my mom not wearing turquoise, yeah, either in earrings or a necklace great. or her shirt. I mean, that. you That's will great. never see her without wearing turquoise. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good look. It is. Her whole house is turquoise. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested in reaching out to Diane Kissel to ask her questions or talk more about her story, you can find her on Facebook. Uh, just search a turquoise life, and you will find her Facebook page for her book. This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways and the textbook written by me, Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with the mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens and preteens. Textbooks used in schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we are always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, or to make a donation, please visit us at lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This is Dr. B. And Mandy Johnson wishing you well. Be sure to catch all of our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're even on iHeartRadio. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions. Sorry if we're too loud. Okay, because I had to take one of the the earbuds out. <laughs> You'd think I'd be used to it after all these years.